this because I'm out on a farm, see. Uh, the, yeah, but uh, anyway, I'm on a farm at the moment. Welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast on the cosmos from independent validator teams. Hello and welcome to Game of Nodes, a weekly podcast from independent validator teams on the Cosmos. And Null is out on a farm and complaining about his internet. Nothing's really new there if you watched last week's episode. Uh, and we're joined by James uh, from Subquery. Uh, we're going to talk about what a subquery is and why I should want one. But first, we're going to cover off uh, some follow-up questions from last week. And both Usurper and James are going to tell us all about Consensus and Austin. It's going to make us feel very, very jealous that we weren't there. Uh, because I have been in a loft and Null has been in the bush. So clearly we weren't a consensus, uh, which is very, very distressing. Um, so uh, first, oh, right. The big, the big, the big, the big follow-up we have obviously is on the osmosis hall, right? But Schultz is our resident osmosis expert and he's been rugged by the power cut in, um, uh, are we allowed to say where he lives now? Is that no. doxing? He, he lives in a, are we not allowed to say? Okay, if we're not allowed to say, he lives in a place with bad power power grid, and he has been rugged by the power grid. So that's why Schultze is not on today's episode being wholesome. Um, this this is so, not the first time he's been rugged either by the old power. That's correct. Yeah. I think two out of three ago. of the most recent episodes, he's been rugged by power cuts, um, which begs a lot of questions about 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 living there, but. Um, well, at least he doesn't have a bad internet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at least he's not good into that. <laughs> he was able to tell us that the power was out, but I guess that was that was a mobile or something. I don't really yeah, uh, don't really know how he got the word out. Smoke signal or something like that. Um, so, um, Usurper, is there something that you, can you add something to the to the osmosis follow up, or is it just simply we're back, hooray? I think we're back, hooray. I think I think there was concerns about that they were going to make a. Uh, there was some discussion around a state change, right? I think when we left it last week, there they had four. There was four um, suspect accounts. That I think had volumes high enough in this uh, little um, defect scan, um, whatever we want to call that. And I believe the other two, they, I think they tracked those owners down. This is all consensus rumor, by the way. But I, I, what I heard was I heard that they tracked those two individuals down by going through the CEXs. And identifying who they were and then communicating out. And once they communicated out, there was some, uh, oh, yeah, we'll return that right away. Um, I could be wrong on that that whole story. That's just kind of secondhand. But that's what I understand. So from my perspective, I think then those funds were returned maybe post restart, possibly. Um, and the issue was fixed and the chain was restarted, I think, without any drama. Is that everybody else's understanding of the situation? Yeah, that was roughly what I had. I mean, I know we were talking last week about whether or not the, uh, the, especially the fire stake thing happened because they realized they'd been busted or whether or not it was actually a genuine sort of, uh, yeah, we did actually screw up and want to return the funds rather than somebody tapping you on the shoulder and going, right. we know it was you lads. You literally did it with your validator account. What were you doing? Um, you never know it's a real exploit until you get past the first million. That's what they always say. <laughs> That's what they say. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does. I, yeah. Whatever. I mean, we've, this, yeah, it, it sucks. Sorry for the osmosis guys. Glad that they're back up, I guess, is the, yeah. is the conclusion from that one. Um, so there were, there was some talk as well about um, ICA host functionality and stuff last week. We were kind of 
nibbling around the edges of that and um I guess the other thing that's happened for us was we ran a chain upgrade on Juno, which um, enabled ICO fo- uh, host functionality for the test net so we can play around with it. And I think almost all of us were AFK when it happened. It but was. Our automation is good enough that it, it just it just happened. Uh, but I think like most of us... Well, I know certainly you've got a very, you've got a very cool setup now on the, the test net, haven't you? You said because you're 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 horcruxing it up, aren't you? I am. Yeah, we're still horcruxing it up. I'm still trying to figure out what that's going to look like, and if I had time to actually build it out the way I want to build it out. But I have it's it's getting there. We'll get there. And can you talk about what that ICA thing is for us that don't know exactly what that is? Okay, so um, uh, uh, interchain accounts ICA oh, in short for those account. for those that yeah um, want to just shorten things incessantly. Mm-hmm. Um, the key components of ICA are that there's a host chain and there's a controller chain. So the host chain is the one um, that is being interacted with, if you like, um, and exposes functionality that can be used by other chains. Mm-hmm. Um, the controller chain is the one that's actually sort of doing the controlling, and that has some pretty heavy implications for authentication. There is a default implementation of the authentication part with a lot of capital letters warnings on it um saying do not use in production etc 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 um so joe abby uh, another uh, common um uh, panelist if you like on game of nodes and i have been working on that a little bit um and yeah we decided essentially that a staged approach to getting it out made sense because the full requirements of authentication to be a controller chain aren't really clear and having spoken to other chain core teams the general feeling i got and and please you know if you if we're just being cowardly custards like just say on twitter and and say that we've we've, you know we can just do it don't worry about it but the 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 impression we've got was that most chains who are doing ica functionality at the moment are doing host first and waiting for somebody else to jump on controller Um, okay and it kind of makes sense, right? Because a lot of the time, what you actually want to do is allow other chains to interact with the applications on your chain, especially if you're a smart contract chain. Um, so the kind of functionality that Juno is exposing is, you know, smart contract executions, uh, smart contract instantiation. It's the the kind of stuff that an AMM might might need to do. Um, that anything interacting with NFTs, CW20s, that kind of stuff, is going to want to instantiate um, and execute smart contracts. And so those are the things that uh, are initially exposed, as well as the native modules, um, so that you can do you know, bank sends and that kind of stuff, all, all the other things that you're going to expect to do for uh, sort of advanced IBC interactions, I guess, ICA interactions. Can I take us um, on topic and go deeper on that? Just, I mean, completely off topic right off the bat. So the ICA piece, um, can there be chains in between those two endpoints or is it always one-to-one? It's always a controller chain and a host chain. And there's nothing in between, right? Like there can't be Not- uh, there can't be a, there's no other. The reason I'm asking this, one thing that came up a lot was at consensus, which we'll talk about a little bit, is there's a lot of conversation on the Cosmos discussion around the role of the hub, right? And the idea right right now that this is very mesh based, but as we grow from 60 chains in Osmosis to 250 or to 30,000, then the, the hub idea is going to come back, and maybe it's one hub, or maybe there's multiple hubs, and blah 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 blah. And and 
interchain account th- seems to be an item that would um, delay that more than enable it, right? Because yeah, you kind of yeah, need that IBC things further. Yeah, yeah. Um, it does, however, I suppose. Um, the, the way I was kind of thinking about it the other day is that if you have um, a chain like Juno, it works very well for because there's this idea that you can build a thing on Juno, get product market fit, off you crack, make your own chain. Um, in that model, it makes a lot of sense to deploy your application on Juno, have literally a smart contract, to say a registry for from Juno's perspective, let's say, here are the IBC channels that matter, or here are the coin denominations that actually map to these human-readable representations of them or whatever, because obviously the the IBC denom is different on it, on every chain or whatever. Um, but there are probably ways, there are, again, ways as soon as you can start interacting with smart contracts on a smart contract chain where you can say, okay, look, well, from our point of view, right, from this chain, addressability looks like this. Here are the things we care about, and here are what they're called. What they're called, yeah. um, and then from another chain, you can kind of decide well w- which sort, which chain is the canonical chain that we sort of care about um, from that perspective. I guess. So I think it it doesn't, like you say, it doesn't say like oh we just stick that on the hub and we're done, but it does mean that people can decide. Um, potentially which host chain they sure. want to use for saying what a source of truth is on a, on a given thing that might be fragmented. The, the one that jumps into my head is IBC denoms, but that's actually not really... Is that a problem that anybody's having? I'm, I'm not sure it is, but I know it's just a thing that jumps into my head as, as, mm-hmm. as different on every chain. You know, Can multiple chains be a controller chain to another one? Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of scoped to, to the interaction. So there's a that's... risk of like race conditions here where one chain kind of issues a command that another chain does very at a very similar time and how do you kind of merge together those two actions and well indeed i mean so a lot of that is actually controlled by the authentication uh, controller mm-hmm. so it's um yeah i've i don't fully understand every bit about the mechanism i'd be lying i would be actually quite surprised if anybody outside of the the folks that implemented ICA the ICA spec fully understand that. But that is the role of the um, essentially the the authentication piece. But then also the mm-hmm. fact that any instruction, any transaction you submit is going to be part of a block. So then all of the usual guarantees of validity on the let me get this right host chain apply. Because obviously that's all the part of the anti-handler and the keeper in the Cosmos SDK of saying like, well, is this actually a valid inclusion in the block? Which and that validation has to be run before it can be included. So th- there, you know, conceivably is a type of zero day that somebody hasn't ever thought of because of the context. But if certainly, I guess at the native level, all of the interaction with with the native SDK modules should be covered, I guess, by the existing data validations that govern block um, that govern transaction inclusion in a block. I think, but I'm not an expert on that uh, on that mechanism, so it could Welcome well be the leading frontier of, of of technology, right? You know, you, I mean, you really sound like an expert, so that's all important, right? <laughs> And please, no more, no more zero day discoveries on game of nodes. Let's try to keep that to a bare minimum. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think the 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 thing, I guess, the thing that sort of 
worries me is like because we've we've gone through the whole cosmos and getting to uh, 1.0 uh, fun time and during that audit process there were a couple of minor things and there were a couple of actual zero days and the ICA piece is quite complex and there's also things you can interact with like individual modules that chains will implement that aren't part of the the kind of core set of modules that every chain has like bank like staking distribution etc so if you expose that functionality to controller chains there's probably you like your attack surface is it suddenly gets much bigger and much more complex so although in principle my understanding is it shouldn't get any more complicated because the modules are modules and they're governed by the same um security model as the rest of cosmos like i say like I've been surprised by security vulnerabilities before, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say, oh yeah, it's totally secure, so that you can clip two seconds of it when it turns out to not be secure, you know. Um, so that, in a nutshell, is I guess why we're we're taking our time with it. Um, but it's, I, I think, it's also a case of actually just having to read a lot of the source code and really understand what it's doing before we're we're sure whether we have. Uh, like I say, like kind of additional um, criteria for the authentication piece that we weren't aware of. Mm -hmm. um, because it is like, like a lot of things in Cosmos, it's sort of described in a couple of blog posts. And then after that, it's read the source code. So it escalates very quickly from you want, you're interested in this thing, you might want to implement it, read the source code. Um, so um, there is, a, there are, to be fair, there are a couple of pages of docs actually embedded in the source as well on how the, ICA controller and auth bit works. So I'm being a little bit unfair. Um, but I'm not going to pretend I fully understand it and I'm not comfortable with things I don't fully understand. So that's why I'm putting the brakes on it. And I think Jabby is is similar, I guess. Cool. Uh, so cool. I'm just reading what uh, Papmos has put down on here. So he's saying um, IBC denoms are an issue uh, in his experience. So He's saying that there's a module called Coin Metadata Module um, that might address that. Have any of you guys heard of that module? I haven't heard of that one yet. Uh, I, I've not heard of that, but I have. I have. I think, as I just said, there figured that there is a, a five-minute um, implementation of a smart contract that can live on a host chain that interprets what an ibc genome is from the point of view of the chain into something that a human can read i um i even actually it's on my pad somewhere like if you have a little bit of time investigate this but yeah if Putmus has already done that that would be cool that would save us all some time well um, i think he's saying that there is maybe a module that's in the works potentially i guess for cosmos sdk um well actually he said both are in the works so chain name service so yeah, I'd heard, I'd heard of that. That's that's Jack, isn't it? I don't, I don't know. Isn't that strange, uh, love? So there is a working spec for a coin metadata and chain name service data format in the chain registry. Oh, okay, so maybe who who maintains the chain registry? That's uh that's on the Cosmos. That Cosmos Hub. I think it's Cosmos Hub. Yeah. Um. Yeah, that would make sense. Uh, but. I guess the question is again, where is that going to live? If that's just going to live on the hub, then yeah, it's it, every chain is going to end up deploying it because that's sort of what 
every chain ends up doing, and then you're kind of back to the you know who are you trusting argument. Not denying yeah, that, that it's useful for developers, but the the denoms are a real pain in the ass on uh, Cosmos, really, um, unless everything goes back to their host chain. And yeah, I can see that being a problem across the uh, ICA yeah. for sure. Unless you can deduplicate properly that this is the same denom as this denom, then you are kind of fucked um, as a user. And and actually, as a developer, like Patmos just said, alluded to, like if you're trying to do complex DeFi things where you don't know where the where the tokens have come to you from, that that is potentially an issue. Was there any talk later on um, during consensus about like Terra Two and where it's going? And if I didn't it's a massive like, rope um, from Terra Two. I don't really hear any conversations about it. Uh, I don't know if that's different you so, but but there weren't any Me many talks. Yeah. Yeah, not a thing. The only other stablecoin and the only other stablecoin conversation I really heard anything about was these the IST thing with Agoric. Um, that's the only thing that really came up is is Dean was up there and they talk, he he was on stage talking about that, which um, maybe we can talk about a future date or something similar to that. But um, trying to talk about why that's a good idea. So, um, well, I mean, if we're done with consensus. Talk. Yeah. Um, maybe maybe we could talk a little bit about uh, stable coins, um, unless we had something else already on the list to move on to, guys. Because yeah. there there has been talk, um, you know, around the place about bringing <laughs> new. I think Frey and I are both chopping at the bit that bring up a specific topic that we want to talk about. I'll go for it. I'll, I'll bring this shit up later. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we're both looking at the uh, both looking at the same spreadsheet that you always doggedly refuse to actually uh, open. I'm during... at <laughs> well, I mean, I, I'm, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the bit that's in all bold that says "topic of the week." Null. <laughs> all about you as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, man, the man joined us from New Zealand. Come on, <laughs> I mean, New Zealand's miles away. Like miles. That's, that's like. It's like thirteen hours from us. I mean, it's oh. it's like an hour from you. I mean, it's it's a very That's very like, long okay, way away. Good, you know, it's fine. <laughs> why the fuck are you chopping and jumping around this spreadsheet? Like you asked, you've gone straight to the bottom, and now you're going back up. I, well, you know, consensus stuff is obviously, and it's it's an extraordinary addition to the spreadsheet now, which we we actually did discuss before you joined in the pre-show uh, that we were we were going to cut it a little, di- little differently. So it's all it's all about you know you snooze you lose. I think on this one. Well, I think if you're going down a list and you skip shit, you skip it. It's done. <laughs> it's done. We're, can't ever <laughs> can never talk about it. It's about the civil engineer here. It's just like you just do everything without without any kind of certification, <laughs> without any kind of real engineering now, without any understanding of how to put up a good old fashioned bridge. It's That's, a it's an OL ordered list. Fucking in an order. I copied it to the bottom of the list, so now now it's back on the list. Uh, well, <laughs> that's okay. It's practically a new item then. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so, uh, with that little rebellion out of your system, are you happy to continue with the podcast, sir? Sure. My internet's working much better now. Thank you for asking. <laughs> it is actually. <laughs> um, 
So James, I mean, I was kind of interested. Obviously, we've 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 talked a little bit of some of these um, <laughs> myriad, infinite, uh, infinitely regressive Telegram groups mm. that have been, um, I think, absorbing the the life force of most of the the core Geno team for the last few weeks. <laughs> um, we, we need to get uh, so Kevin's another friend of the show, if you like, and uh, we were sort of saying. Because it's absolutely impossible, even if you're inside the process, to keep track of what's actually going on. When when it's all kind of said and done, we need to basically just like get Kevin with a town crier outfit on and a bell, and just be like, "Here you, here you, yeah. here's, the list. here's the list of protocols that are joining," and then just read them all off at the top of the show, and then we can go right there. We go. That's piece of news done. Now everybody's on the same page. All right, cool. Right, let's move on. Um, but. Obviously, like I, I hadn't honestly um, heard much about subquery before we started talking to Terra projects, but it was pretty much the first thing that most you know started saying to us is, "Do you have to?" <laughs> very good. Uh, do you have to? Uh, do you have any um, deployment of subquery or working examples for running on Juno? Are you in touch with the subquery team? And obviously, uh, very quickly that came to pass. But like from somebody who didn't know uh, much about the organizational solution, I'm kind of just also interested in the background of the organization. Like uh, I have a background in RDF of all things, right? Link data. So the dorkiest, arguably most dead end of all web two technologies, but that's why I care about addressability and stuff. So I'm kind of wondering uh, how you guys settled on indexing and stuff. And like, what, what was the history of subquery and how you kind of chose this as your niche to sort of work in? Yeah, we were doing like some infrastructure stuff. So our origins from the Poker ecosystem, and we were doing some infrastructure stuff for them. Uh, you know, Polkadot and Cosmos very similar in terms of like the outcome that we're trying to achieve. We're going about it different ways, but um, the outcome is is the same, which is this multi-chain universe where everyone's got freedom to kind of build their own application chains that talk to each other and communicate well, and they're interoperable. Right, it's the same outcome. Uh, we were doing a lot of infrastructure work for a lot of teams that were building in that AC ecosystem, and they keep asking us about indexing, right? If you want to build an application, you need indexing. And for those that are listening that don't know what indexing means, um, this is another buzzword that you have no idea what, what means in the, in the outcome. Indexing is very simple, right? So a blockchain is a linked list. It's a glorified linked list. And for those that don't know what a linked list is, it's like a book of pages. Every you know 10 seconds, a new page is written to the book which includes what happened in the last 10 seconds. And if you can imagine trying to convert a book into like a something that you can build an application off, like, for example, just getting the last uh, the transaction history of my account. If that's recorded in a book, you have to kind of go through each and every page looking for transactions to draw from your account. It's, it's the most inefficient way to query data. And that's one of the biggest problems of blockchains. It's a great way to store data in an immutable way but it is a terrible way to have that data um, accessible. Uh, accessible so you can build brand new dApps off it, um, so you can use that in other platforms or ecosystems, so you can kind of interact with that data. And if you want to build a new application that's easy to use, you need access to data. It is critical. So subquery is a data indexer, very similar to what the graph does on Ethereum. Um, we've started Polkadot, and we're working our way through the non-ETH chains. Uh, that allows you to, um, in your own way, for your own application, index data from the blockchain. So when a new block is added, we will go through that block and we'll pull off exactly what you want, convert it to a format that is exactly what you need, and then allow you to then query that data using a language called GraphQL. So 
Um, the outcome of building a subquery project, which takes it's a very simple process, means that you have a brand new API specifically built for your application that has exactly the data that you need. And it's much, much faster and more efficient than querying the database. It allows you to build better applications that are more user-friendly, more intuitive, uh, faster. And uh, the, the, the background to how we got to Cosmos is a bit of a whiny path. We, we announced support for the Terra ecosystem a week before it all collapsed. So perfect timing. We are the kings of perfect timing. And, uh, but we were working with many of the teams in the Terra ecosystem. And many of those teams in the ecosystem, we talked to about 20 or 30 of them, all very friendly. And as a side note, one of the things I really love about Terra or the Terra teams is that, you know, your whole ecosystem collapsed. Your reserves are all lost because most of those teams had in UST. And most of those teams, the next day, weren't saying, you know, maybe blockchain's not for me. They were saying, where am I building next? Where should I go and do this again? You know, I still believe in this idea. Where am I going to build uh, the application I was building in Terra? Where am I going to build that next? And um, one of the ecosystem teams in Cosmos, Juno, was very uh, efficient at reaching out to a lot of these Terra teams, setting up the Terra Development Fund, uh, to which we're a, a party of, or recipient of, and bringing these teams into the warm bosom of Juno. Uh, so that's kind of how we got here, right? But we, you know, we support Polkadot, we support Avalanche, we support uh, Cosmos. Um, we started with Juno, we've tested Juno, we, but we believe it works with any Cosmosm chain. So, we're so they should work with Stargaze and. Yeah, yeah, Algorithm, and, and uh, we're going to talk to, um, yeah, um, Osmosis as well. Even the Cosmos Hub we've, we've tested on. So um, now it's just a challenge of going and talking to all these teams and making sure it works well. But um, that's the background to what we do. Um, but all these, you know, Terra teams that are coming over, and even the teams that are building on, on Juno and on other chains, we just provide that developer tool that makes life easier. So uh, essentially, again, for, for people listening, um, uh, well, I guess we, we have enough technical people that probably this won't come as a surprise. So, but just to clarify, the indexing side is primarily the query end, isn't it? So yeah. you're writing to the blockchain. Um, if, you, if you worked with a traditional, um, the way I was explaining, if you worked with a traditional web application, you, you have some kind of database interaction layer, yeah. and then there's a database. That interaction layer is usually some kind of an abstraction like a line of business logic app or you know back when i first started it would be like a php or a rails app or something like that and then a database driver and then probably postgres um or something and then all you're really doing is orchestrating reads and writes but in the blockchain world we're Gem, we're sort of sending writes down to the blockchain and then we're bringing up reads through an indexer. Yeah. Um, so at the moment, most Juno projects, for example, will be hitting a core chain RPC for live data constantly and doing a lot of filtering on the front end. Yeah. And that can get pretty complex. Um, some some regulars of the show will know that yeah, so like this is something that uh, regulars of the show know. I'm working on a social protocol with some other people. Um, we're in private alpha at the moment, and we're totally fine on performance because it's a private alpha. Um, but one of our principal concerns was, you know, are we going to have to build our own indexer? So, you know, selfishly, we're really happy that subquery have appeared on the scene because uh, 
an indexer is not something that you just lightly sort of get up one morning and you go like but to that's build what a, most uh, teams have had to do right and every time we enter an ecosystem yeah. where there's well, no yeah. provider like us it's like all these teams have built their own wheel you know from the from scratch and it's it's just like um it's a shame but we're doing a lot of work to add support for as many different chains. And one of the big opportunities for us is is a lot of the teams are thinking about other chains outside of, you know, Cosmos even, right? Um, and, and you know, being in Cosmos, you guys, I, you know, I assume everyone believes that multi-chain interoperability will drive the next kind of adoption uptake of blockchain. It will make our lives easier. It will make consumers' lives easier in terms of the assets that they have. And so if we all believe that, then we, we certainly need these tools that make it easier for people to build applications on, on different chains in and outside of Cosmos. So uh, we've, got, we've had a few questions in the chat. <laughs> that microphone arm is amazing. I would like to know which one it is. Nice one. Usurper has responded with that. It's a road one. Um, but we've got also a couple for James. So... Um, Putmos has asked, um, could you uh, discuss a little bit more how subquery and mantlement differ from or complement uh, one another, which obviously that, that might also need a bit of background for folks who are maybe more in the Cosmos ecosystem as to what mantle, uh, mantlement actually is as well. Yeah, so I'm no expert on this. But my understanding of mantlement is it is a, a much more organized and efficient uh, node. Um, so on, on it was built by the Terra team, if I'm not wrong. And um, it essentially is a... That's correct. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of layer on top of the, the core non-pruned archive node that makes it a lot more efficient to query. Um, we actually use Mantlement nodes. Um, so the difference between us and Mantlement is Mantlement's kind of like an off-the-shelf API. You can't really like change it API. Um, it has certain an API definition that you have to accept and that, that might work for you, but for most people it doesn't um, if you're building your own custom app using your own smart contract you need you need certain endpoints api endpoints that are custom to your product and that's where the subquery piece comes in so it's really about converting this kind of common um, blockchain structure to a structure that is completely custom to your application um, so that may mean that um, if you're building an nft marketplace all i care about is the nfts that i've minted who currently owns them, what the transaction history with those NFTs were, and what the floor price is of this collection, right? And you can build APIs that give you those those pieces of data in a, in a much more efficient way than you can calculating that dynamically in the front end. Because, you know, you can't you can't ask the blockchain um, what are the transaction, transaction history of this NFT. That's not a question that you can do in Mantlement. That's like historic data, and you can't really ask that in, in, a, in a Mantlement endpoint. So I have I have some questions, the fray, if I may. <laughs> so um, obviously there's there's the graph as well that's um, yep. doing something uh, similar to you guys. So I have a question that's more around um, trust uh, and and integrity of data because. At the moment, for example, like basically everybody in the cosmos relies on the integrity of um, Cosmo Station to provide accurate data in uh, MintScan, right? So yeah. there's no one checking that. That is basically their indexing and putting it into their database and they're reading from their database. 
And, you know, that's why we can have historical data from chains that have uh, done like hard forks and stuff like that. But inherently, like, everybody is basically required to trust that data that they're serving up, right? Hmm. So how, like, are there any checks and balances, like, that are able to be implemented in the subquery or how does it, um, you know, prove the integrity? We're keenly thinking about this all the time now. And um, so we we provide like a centralized hosting services for our customers. Um, Most of the wallets, um, Explorers and and, and Polkadot use it. We're doing like 400 million API calls per day um, through it. So, you know, we we, we do a lot there, but you're absolutely right. It's a centralized service. They're trusting us that we're going to get it wrong. And I guess it's a reputational um, sacrifice if we violate that, but, Correct, you know, um, it is it is um, it is a trust, um, nonetheless. So we're building a decentralized network, very similar to what the graph's doing. Um, the difference between us and what the graph's doing is the graph's decentralized network only supports their Ethereum projects and doesn't support um, projects from the other chains that they support. Um, Subquery. The graph actually. Uh, the graph have started doing Juno. They've started yeah. working on Juno and they've started working on Cosmos Hub. And um, we are, we're kind of in the avalanche space with them. We just entered that a couple months ago. Uh, there are some complaints, com- complaints about the graph treating um, these new chains as like a second-class citizen. Um, you don't really get the support. And you don't get the full functionality of, of the graph. Um, they kind of focus on their Ethereum customers primarily. Um, we're trying to be a bit different about that. But your point around data validation, we, so subquery project can be open source. Um, we try to make it so without you kind of doing something crazy, um, that subquery project will be deterministic as much as possible. And you have to like turn a flag off to say this is not safe anymore when you disable that deterministicness, okay? Um, if it's deterministic, that means you two parties can, you can't verify automatically that the data is correct inside of a single project. There's like too many mutations that might happen, but you can quickly verify. And we're built in um, the proof of indexing, we call proof of indexing, which is you can compare two different independent providers of that same data. And um, through, you know, Merkle mountain ranges, you can compare and confirm that they are exactly consistent in terms of the data that they're providing. So unless they're in collusion, uh, the data is valid across those two. And we have that inbuilt. And that is kind of critical to our, our decentralized network. So for you to become a data provider for our decentralized network, your hashes, your, um, your data must be completely consistent with everyone else. Otherwise, there's something going wrong here. There's something strange. So, so theoretically, right? So, say um, you know, there's subquery main nodes doing their, you know, four, four hundred million uh, queries a day. So there could be, um, you know, say from each network, there could be two or three other providers, even if they're not even serving, um, you know, data to customers. For example, they're just as an integrity check. So, say, say if King nodes ran their own um, subquery uh, servers and did their own indexing and then basically had a publicly viewable um, cross-check with the main yeah. subquery database so that you could establish trust by uh, multiple providers at least who are, you know, exactly trusted right. people. Exactly right. So source, you can run it yourself and it's fine. And then 
Well, we're trying to go a bit further with that far decentralized network. It's less so that we're running the servers. It's more so that anyone can run the servers. Anyone can run those indexes, and they can index that data and sell that on the marketplace. Okay. So the vision here is that rather than just we run all the infrastructure and you guys do some checks, you can run the indexes, indexes just like you run validators for these networks, and you can earn rewards for that data that you sell to the marketplace. So um, if MintScan wanted to decentralize its infrastructure, it could create all these subcrew projects that provide that, that data to their front end. And anyone, any validator, any any individual could run that project themselves and, and the network kind of proxies those off and rewards the indexes for what they do. Is there any plan to like have a, uh, like implement a way to automatically well i mean you've got the so you've got your um your marketplace right would it be possible to have sort of like single endpoints that distributes queries to you know yeah. a network yeah, that's, that's of, and and so you get performance yeah. on that right because because this is a read-only database it's a content delivery network it's a cdn um, yeah, and you know, if you're serving web pages from the internet, it means that web page is probably located in in a data center closest to you. So the more indexes, the more performance you get because um, it's read-only operations. Um, and so the more indexes we create, you know, that that's the outcome that we're trying to push for. That's the outcome that we're trying to incentivize, and we're trying to incentivize. You know, you can run, you know. Now you can run your own indexer in, in Outback Australia, and it means the the, the th millions of people in the Outback. They want that data. We'll get it from you. The, the three cows in the paddock and the fucking yeah, sheep mate. across yeah. the have great access to, you know. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that I'm, I'm impressed with that. That's that's exciting to me because one of the, you know, it's always been a gripe of mine uh, that I think about, not talk about, is just that, you know, we rely so much, for example, on, on MintScan. And if this is mm -hmm. like an evolution of indexing, then in my book, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah. So and and we're working with like for from Polkadot, there is an a similar version of MintScan that dominates the space and everyone has to use because other tool everyone knows. And and we're working with a person to actually build like an open source version of MintScan that is built nice. on a sub project. So you can kind of you can democratize that that public good which is the indexer which is you know it's critical also the explorer you know it's a critical piece of infrastructure on any chain um and it means as more chains get launched mint scans backlog is going to get bigger maybe there should be an open source alternative where the teams themselves complemented it with some minimal um you know alterations so i think um like for for bold did build a uh an explorer that is more or less open source and you can you can run it and then it um you know integrate it into the list and, and stuff like that but that's completely other topic but um so back on subquery i wanted to ask you um obviously when people build their own contracts and have uh their own message types and stuff in their own contracts it's it's reasonably bespoke um and obviously subquery is not going to have um well, in, in my mind, subquery is not going to have the native ability to crawl uh, subcontract. Uh, well, contracts. It, no, it um, does. So, yeah, it does. Oh, does it? So, so, you can, so you can. So yeah, when so, it contracts up, it can it can query that contract, determine the messages, and then 
decode yeah. basically. So we have we have various different types of like fil- what we call like trigger points. Um, they're called mapping handlers, but I look at them as like trigger points. And so your basic one is like a block trigger. So every block that's added, we do something very simple, but very brute force. But we have more advanced ones like for Cosmos, we have like a transaction. We have times a transaction happens, we do something. Um, but even better, um, every time a log is received, so um, or a message is received, that filter that that fits a certain like topic. You know, when you like define topics and um, you trigger logs or, or events from those, um, we can filter down to those. You can like put in the, the filter of, of what exactly you're looking for, um, which means that you can I can like like I did an example project which um, tracks all the vote events for the smart contract that is related to the Terra Developer Fund. So my project that's running has indexed every single vote made on any um, any one of those Terra Development Fund uh, proposals and lists, you know, the voter, the voting address, um, if they voted yes or no, uh, what, 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 you know, fund or proposal idea it was on and the date and the block height that it happened. And that was a very simple process because I can just filter just that smart contract into certain um, events or um, that were related to that. So... What is the, um, you know, breaking it down like to language for dummies like uh, me with um, databases, what's the basic storage? Uh, Postgres. We've, we've spent yeah, so- decades optimizing databases. Like we've spent <laughs> so long optimizing databases. So in here there's a Postgres database that holds the data. Not what I was going to say, but... Okay. Uh, <laughs> Preempting what I'm trying to spit out of my head. So um, the the data storage, like, are you storing individual messages that you pull out, or do you store like particular data from messages, or uh, you know, are you creating like a list of transactions, or are you creating like a list of messages, and and how is it stored, and how is it broken up in subquery? And I don't know if that's like within the scope of our discussion today. It could be a little bit out there, but it, I'm interested nonetheless. No, fair enough. So think of a subquery project like a recipe. And the recipe has a met, like it has the ingredients. So for example, if your trigger point is on a certain event, that's your your ingredient. Okay. So I received the event. And you define a very simple function that say, okay, I received a Cosmos event. And um, all I do is for my one, for example, I will I just want certain things. I wanted to proposal ID, the vote, um, the voting address. So on my TypeScript function, I just like pull that piece of data out and I save that as a new like JavaScript object or a TypeScript object, okay? So that TypeScript option object gets put into the database. So we don't save everything willy-nilly. We kind of, um, you, when you're creating your subquery project, you're defining the shape of your data that you want at the end. You're defining your trigger points and you're defining the mapping functions that take it from you know a Cosmos event or a Cosmos block and putting into the, the the object that you want at the end of the day. Um, so that's okay. those three pieces, you know, the trigger points, the mapping function, and the final result. Those are the three things you do when you create a subquery project, and we do the rest. We set up the indexer. We do we kind of reliably index all the blocks according to the rules and the method that you've defined, and we spin up a database and a Postgres and a, a query endpoint that you can query that resulting data. Okay, so so basically, um, okay, I, I understand it better now. So 
So a, a user will tell it what it wants and then basically you then store bespoke uh, tables related to what they've asked for from the, the base of data. Like, yeah. it makes sense in my head. <laughs> yeah. So, so James, if, if that definition changes over time, if you, if you, does it always from this point forward or I can point it at a, you know, an archive node and have it replay blocks and start recreating yeah, we, those yeah, other. Absolutely. It goes, yeah, block, yeah. it goes whatever block you want. So block one, if you want, but I know Juno still sure. starts with block like 300 and something thousand. Um, yeah. And, does that feature. does that procedure for every block up to now, and then as okay. blocks are added, updates. And then if I if I add another query, like if I'm if I'm I want to inspect a different area, I could just repoint it backwards, just rebuild it back up, and I build yeah. my new GraphQL structure off of that. That's pretty cool. So if you want to keep it deterministic, you kind of have to go back and start again because mm -hmm. you know you don't want things to. As, as, yep. as, as, I forgot yep. how like fast the reindexing, but re, re, you know retain that determinism because again that's critical. For sure. I can just, um tricky tricky challenge so in terms of users then what kind of costs typically um is it to like index a project say if you had a million blocks and then how is it paid for um is is there like a subquery coin or <laughs> it's open source um <laughs> there will be a subquery token for the network and that's how you reward indexes for doing the work that they um, that do to index that data. Um, we're working out the payment methods. We're trying to figure out how to make it work so that you know end users don't have to pay for it. They kind of get sponsored by the, the like the, the application owner. Um, but we also have a hosted service um, where we run a large amount of infrastructure right now, and we have kind of um, we give it away for free for small customers just to get up and started. But we have you know arrangements with those big wallets or explorers that use millions of requests per day and, and have huge data sets. Um, and that's, you know, we just kind of cover our costs there, but it's essentially open source. And, you know, if you want to run it yourself, if you want to start building with it and power your app off it, you can do it without even talking to us. Kind of yeah, curious cool. if you can run it on a cache, actually, that would be pretty cool. Uh, like I kind of, with all of that, like luxurious amount of free time I have, I'd love to, have a go at indexing Juno well, and run it on the cache. This is the one but... thing, right? That you know, we're adding heaps of chain support, but there's like so many different chains in Cos chains in Cosmos that we don't really have the time to cut, go through and like test them with each. Um, mm -hmm. So we're really interested to hear from different chains, from teams in different chains, that if it's working. Um, well, so I don't mean can... I don't mean indexing a cache. I mean in run an index node, an indexing in instance of subquery on a cache oh, as okay. a container. Because you know, a cache is just uh, a marketplace for compute on Cosmos, right? That you yeah, can yeah. access via IBC. So, let's say, let's say I'm building a social protocol because maybe I am. Um, maybe that's controlled by a DAO because maybe it is, and maybe we want to run um, an indexer for some uh, type of content that comes up in the service. Uh, you could conceivably run your own. Uh, the DAO could run its own subquery instance on a cache and then pay for it in AKT via IBC straight out of the DAO treasury, um, which would be pretty cool. Which you yeah. can buy over IBC. Which you can buy. Well, <laughs> well, you can buy over IBC. I don't think you need I ICA for. Oh, well, you're talking about the thing. Yeah, you need the tokens first, right, in order mm -hmm. to transact over IBC. So, no, no. Well, I'm talking about the wallet, the wallet swap. Over oh, you're IBC. talking about the fancy, fancy. Yeah, that fancy was really helpful. 
yeah okay. sorry I, I don't know why i just said fancy fancy like that it was descriptive <laughs> of anything um i mean uh, i knew exactly what you were talking about we're like the fancy fancy yeah exactly yeah. using the fancy yeah. fancy the the double the double stop uh the, the double hop transaction over ibc the fancy fancy um yeah. so uh, yeah and people people kind of people who I, I know there are some people who are listening to this who also listen to the dev podcast we did earlier today so when james already described a blockchain as a linked list which you also encountered earlier today so uh when when we had a little bit of a tangent on applicative functors and mapping functions earlier and why iterators are pretty good in rust smart contracts uh that that ma that mapping function that that mm. we spent maybe a little bit too long getting to the weeds over is basically how subquery works as well. So it goes to show you that um, developers rambling about concepts sometimes those concepts are universally applicable to uh, hard problems. So um, yeah, so I guess the final question I, I'd have uh, James is like what you know other than obviously that you guys uh, you folks are sort of kind of launching your own chain and whatnot. What's what's exciting on the roadmap that uh, those of us who are maybe application developers you know should be like excited about coming from subquery and and kind of looking out for yeah well like so as our teams focus on making this index as reliable as fast efficient open as possible right and um it means that we're constantly building um new improvements to it so an example was um that hosted service we're just improving the scalability of that adding new features to that the network which we're trying to launch we just had a test network we had about 150 indexes um, simulated about 200 million API requests in the test network, and we're rolling onto a mainnet soon. Uh, we'll have a um, a Cosmos project on there probably as well. Um, we're we're doing a lot of like interesting features around these performance improvements. That's always like the number one thing is make it faster and and better. Um, but also features around um, so you can make a subquery project that is. Uh, mutable. Immutable for those who don't know means means like data inside of it updates. Um, so for example, if you're indexing the current owner of an NFT, that data will change all the time as that NFT is sold. Um, we've added a, added a new feature recently that um, keeps track of all historic mutations of that. So you can ask what you can ask your subgroup project, what was the state of the world at this particular point in oh, time? Oh, so event sourcing. Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So you can you can ask like what was the balance at this point? If you're indexing like the balances of all assets that wallets have, you can ask how much did they have at this time? I guess you can kind of figure that out. But you know, like there's there's points here where or what was the the APY of a of a DeFi protocol at this point in time and how has it changed? Um, so those are those are kind of interesting features we're we're working on adding. But of course, yeah, more chain support is always one thing. We're gonna be supporting we've got a goal of about eight different chains by the end of the year. And we're kind of three, almost, you say four, but now three, um, thanks to Terra's demise. It sounds like someone might actually be able to make some effective fucking tax software based on subquery. <laughs> hey, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my account would be happy about like that at the moment. Yeah, it's like in the cosmos, it's just impossible to work out your tax. Oh, everyone's is that right? Yeah, it's. Mm -hmm. I, I had to write my own software um, based on MapReduce, as it happens. Um, but obviously, my accounts can't run it because it's a closure project. So they were really excited. They were like, "Oh, you've written software to do your taxes. Oh, is this something we could resell?" And I was like, "If you know Lisp, 
<laughs> uh, if you're happy to run a REPL, um, you know, it's, it's bang easy, but... Uh... At least we don't I feel like government attacks. Governments around the world are going to account for like 300 million of your 400 million daily queries on uh, software. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but so just because just, that, that final point you talked about where it kind of sounded like it was a, a an event sourcing-based solution where you're, you're, you're calculating the delta, right, between two points and that's how you're moving the index forward. Is that a fundamental reimagining of how subquery does stuff or is that an additional product that is essentially doing event sourcing for... Because that, for those that I guess don't do lots of log streaming stuff, um, there's basically two models. One of them is you just log the value at every point in time, and you just keep track of an entity. And then you, as an application developer, decide when what to do when you you are told it changes. Um, an example of this would be something like a, a a smack stack where you have Apache Kafka writing to Cassandra, so you have a, a date a database. And then you have like a log streaming thing. Ha 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 ha, Callum. Uh, yes, I managed to make it an hour without mentioning Lisp. Well done. Um, or you have something where the database and the log are the same thing, like in event sourcing, where you say, okay, well, I, I actually only care about what can yeah, be computed at a point in time, which might mm-hmm. be now, in which case what I actually need to do is compute the deltas. So... Um, I we're, don't know how many people listening and or listening to the playback state. later. Yeah, we're, we're storing the, the states at different points of view. Like, so we're like we're saying the state was like this between blocks X and Y. Um, we're com- computing and storing the data is a, a fundamental reimagining of of how you do that. And I think it's a little bit of a step too far. But you know, from you know, state was this at X to Y, and from Y to Z it was this. You could obviously backtrack and compute the data. Okay, so you're going about it that way rather than the event sourcing model where it is. Yeah. Um, I know some very, very smart people that did some work on uh, geolocated event sourcing. Um, I think it might have even been for a, a demonstrator project in New Zealand of all places. Um, but uh, yeah, it was There's the same. So many people here. Yeah, well, they were based in the north of north of England. So, uh, <laughs> but it was. I think. It, I think the original the original purpose was like for tracking emergency services or something, saying like, oh, where where was a given point reported at a given point in time and then they it ended up pivoting the whole company towards like where is a customer in a supermarket at a given point in time uh which as it turns out is a really hard problem to solve and very interesting but doesn't actually translate to bucks in the uh, cash register so nobody bought it um but lots of fun lots of fun to to think about anyway um i'm gonna shut up Null, Usurper, do you have any final questions for James? Oh, yeah. But it's not related to subquery. <laughs> <laughs> it's a New Zealand thing. Yeah. James, the, uh... Go ahead. <laughs> no, it's, it's mean. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Aussies. Bloody Aussies. I mean, completely unrelated to anything blockchain or... um. <laughs> Or, uh, you know, Cosmos. Or that. So um, I think this is like, you know, similar around the world now. Uh, everyone's pushing up interest rates and New Zealand is probably ahead of the curve on pushing up interest rates. And you guys are getting it pretty hard there, right? I, so the reason I ask is because traditionally the, uh, the news is pretty full of shit. 
And I don't really look at it that often, but lately uh, on my, you know, Google news feed on my phone, I keep seeing all this shit about, you know, the the New Zealand house market imploding, et cetera. Any truth to it or is it all media it's bullshit? It's not imploding yet. It's saying like the New Zealand house market has been one of the hottest house markets for the last five years, right? Um, house prices here like went up like 28% last year. Um yeah, so it's not imploding. It's actually like stagnating slightly, going down a little bit. But like compared to what it was doing last year, it's like, oh, wow. Um, yeah. Still, yeah, it's 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 kind of like the house prices in Sydney, right? It's it's or um, almost like London, I think, where it's just ridiculous. But outside, well, like, even yeah, like in the news um, relating to our housing market, you know, it's like the the news headlines are like. Sydney completely fucked, <laughs> Melbourne completely fucked, but like they've still got a clearance rate on on auctions and stuff like that. So it's it's really hard to decipher what in the hell is going on with it. But I mean, I don't own a house, so it doesn't really bother me. <laughs> yeah, no, I just well, I'm the same. I, I can't be bothered buying houses right now. It's um, I'm just waiting for everything to shit to fuck up in like twelve months or so. You know. That's the that's the time to have cash. Yeah, it's it's interesting, yep. like where it's all going because, ah, fuck, I don't really want to. Get, I, I could talk about you know the local economies here for for days and just bore the shit out of everyone. But I, I wanted to ask you about that. So, usurpers like where even are these places? Are they? Yeah. They have like, economies. An hour in, he's like, "Wait, these guys aren't in America. Where these are guys they? aren't in the same country? I thought New Zealand was a state of Australia." <laughs> I oh, do know the difference between those two. I'm trying to, I am trying to figure out what exactly the local economy looks like in the bush over there. And is that like how many kangaroo pelts you get for a gallon of <laughs> koala milk? I got what, what, what are we talking about here? Fleece, but unfortunately, it's been really that's, down low that's a good for one. a long time. You that's, know, like. We've only had just okay. the American billionaires fly over before COVID to really fleece, and and they're they're arguing a bit, <laughs> getting a bit too snowy about the subject. I, like I we literally sell bags of chicken shit on the side of the road. So <laughs> like, we do a bit of horse shit on the side of the road, <laughs> and and like we sell rocks to throw it to throw it neighbors or like what? What's the what's the utility here? Well, what do you do with chicken well, shit Australia's anyway? entire is that, economy is, is, is based on the ability of Australia to sell rocks to China. Uh, it's <laughs> basically, yeah, it's how much shit can we dig out of the ground and convince China to buy before they explode us with nuclear bombs? They, they write that on the the bills, right? Isn't that at the bottom of the bill? Like, no, no, they don't. I, th I think it's like uh, in, in the UK on the on the money it says like you know I promise to pay the bearer on demand the sum of blah and it has like the address of the Bank of England. Yeah. Oh, you, you obviously can't bloody do that anymore. But in in Australia it says like I promise to pay pay the bearer on demand the amount of rocks equivalent to. <laughs> oh no, it's probably uh, coal. Probably the equivalent of coal or something. Yeah, it's, well, it's yeah, actually. Coal. Total. It's a reserve currency. It's a reserve currency. In case people listening weren't aware of that, like uh, it still does have a reserve, but it's primarily rocks and koalas. Um, so <laughs> we we have coal, iron, oil, and gas. It's like so you're basically Russia. You're basically Russia, but yeah, like, in the southern like hemisphere. 
<laughs> nobody assaulted. Like, everything's like going on a boat. People like Australia. Does that yeah. make? Does that I make New Zealand like Ukraine was... or something? Or is that? No, no, is no, no. We're, we're we're friends. We're like like we're like Canada to like the US. This. You know, we couldn't uh, get the rock out of the ground without Kiwis, probably. So. <laughs> Come that a, sounded like a threat, like weirdly. We'll get that rock out of the ground. You, you'll, you'll, you'll be sorry about joking about Back those rocks mind. out of the ground. A famous, prime, a famous prime minister or like president for the Americans listening of New Zealand um, once said this famous quote um, back when someone said, you know, the migration rate to Australia is through the roof right now. And the prime minister said, well... It's not a bad thing. It you know it raises the IQ of both countries. Wow, <laughs> pretty funny. That's pretty good. Um, ironically, I've worked in in New Zealand to get money when I was at uni. We came over there. Yeah, it costs like so much money to buy steak over there. It's ridiculous. The the food and cost of living is fucking madness in in New Zealand, and they pay you like half of what they pay you here. It's bizarre. But I must say, it is an incredibly beautiful country. And, um, you know, some of the places out there, like the, the glowworm caves in Waitomo and down south, like around um, uh, uh, like Milford Sound and yeah. uh, those places around there, just incredibly beautiful. Um, King, King knows desperately. King knows desperately trying to save his new New Zealand delegates right now. Backpedaling. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Like, when I went down there, I traveled around quite a bit, and um, yeah, man. So, like, so in Australia, the the places you go see, which are serene and 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 pretty, are like uh, over in WA in the middle of the desert. They're like red and green. It's a different type of um, landscape, right? But when you go to New Zealand. It's like rolling hills and and green grass and and big lakes and hills. It's just, it's whales, just but massive. It's whales, yeah, it's, but massive lads. It's it's different to here, but it's just completely beautiful and um, it's great great thing to go and see. If anyone's thinking of traveling anywhere post COVID, go check out New Zealand. So everybody, you've been listening to Game of travel agents with king nodes your friendly local travel agent kingnodes.com for all your travel needs to australia new zealand they'll organize your package holidays trips to the outback and, and we uh, the airport, you know yeah exactly yeah. personally um, you're powered by subquery um so uh it's it's time to do a little bit of wrap up and hopefully not get rugged this week by now um so we had a few quick questions for for game of nodes during the week which were and James, feel free to jump in if you have an answer to a question, even though they've kind of been asked in our direction. Um, we've been asked a question, a couple of questions about Nomic. No, isn't Nomic mainnet? Like is it Nomic or Nomic? Nomic. No. Nomic. Nomic. The yeah. mainnet is this week, next week? You two are validating it, right? Wait, where, where are the windows tiled? Are you Null pointing at yeah, I'm trying to point to the two of you. you. You're both validating Nomic, right? That's going live uh, next week or the week after? I'm not. Usurper probably is. is. I am. Um, the date, I don't have the exact date in front of me because I think we're going to talk about it. Um, it is something about in the chat right now as well. I believe it is next week. I have a question for you, Usurper. If, 
if Nomic Mainnet is just now going live, what the fuck has been live for like the last couple of months? Yeah, we were talking about this on the Game of Notes channel. So it's just been really staking up to this point, right? Because the idea is that this is a bridge for a Bitcoin bridge. Um, so it is, I guess it's, we're up to the point where everybody's just auto compounding like crazy <laughs> to be able to build this up and build a, you know, a pretty uneven delegate structure um, in these so hundred validators. Yeah, basically. Three mine for like three months. So I, I think it's that's been the end of the scamming period, is it? I, exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now we can actually do something here. Um, um, so it is. Yeah. It, yeah. There you go. So Callum and, and Puppet was just hit StakeNet, which is a nice way of saying what I just said. Um, so it's live and we're staking. And so I think I actually, I'm trying to find the date exactly when that's going to launch. Um, so then I think then the new UI will be able to be available and then we'll start having some exchange, other types of things that are going to happen. So, um, yeah, I haven't, I actually haven't seen too many, they, they don't communicate quite the same way as other chains. So it's been difficult to somewhat keep up with, but, um, will but this yeah, be rectifying some of the, so is there still going to be the weird shit that they've got in the stake net as what they're going to have in mainnet? Like, or have they already fixed it where they, for example, didn't have the ability to unjail or something like that? Uh, they do run. This is again some Kimiak. I think they run, they do run a, a separate uh, UI that or CLI that sits in front of the Tenderman SDK. And so I, I'm not sure if that's Rust based. I think somebody told me that, that was Rust based. Somebody's going to yeah, say if it is they, or not. They right? built their own, um, they built their own uh, application on top of Tenderman and it's not based on the Cosmos SDK. Okay. So it behind the scenes, it has some of the same components that are in there and there's some front end to be able to perform some of those tasks but i think like the wallet structure and where that's held um some of the other commands obviously are, are quite different than and now um now a little bit now i don't know if it's on par but early on it was a little bit restrictive in terms of what was available to you um even things like being able to you know enable something like a tender duty to be able to monitor it was difficult to even get the developer address out of that um, but now that's all somewhat changed and there's ways to be able to do that and things like that so um, but there hasn't been that many. I was actually trying to go back and see how many, how many actual upgrades there's been in those periods as well. And I think there's only one or two during the StakeNet period. So um, I assume there's another one, obviously coming for uh, the upgrade here, and we'll see what kind of what happens. That's like so, that's, a, that's a weekends of upgrades for like Uni three. Yeah, seriously, it's eight. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's not so much. It's, so, so it's it's more or less it's well. I mean, obviously, there's some things that are different, but it's approaching feature parity for, for against versus the SDK on core stuff, basically. That's a that's a that's a pretty weak example for me, but I, in my eyes, at least some of those things are, are coming in. Um, so, well, if you can monitor, I assume the there's node, a lot more to it than behind there. If you can monitor the node using standard tenderment monitoring tools, that's a good start. It's um, a start. Well, I mean, because this is the thing that you've been talking about with James this entire episode is, you know, the the beauty of Cosmos SDK or Cosmos more generally is that you should be able to run one thing against all chains uh, right. with very little modification and, and kind of get results um, or at least be able to diagnose them yourself. So I think, you know, if you're saying that <laughs> given that they're now advertising, this is mainnet for real lads, the fact that that stuff is now starting to work suggests that their implementation is now in a good place. Uh, yeah. Which is good to hear. I, I'm excited. I, I'm excited primarily because people were talking about it in uh, Prague as 
uh, potentially a Rust implementation on top of the SDK that would work. And as we know, I am a unashamed Rust maxi when it comes to Rust versus Go. So, was- yeah, and actually, I don't see anything official about what that data is. Calum also talking about maybe next week, but I don't see anything on the Twitter and other types of things. I think all I've heard is like it's been through other people. Now that reason I feel uncomfortable talking about this is I don't know if I've actually seen something myself. Um, but we'll see kind of what happens. Cool. Yeah. Um, we have one more thing on here, which is interchange security. But I think honestly, let's let's kick that to next week now because that's that's a big one, uh, and we can we've we like yeah. There's there's a, there's just I managed to really kick that's it kick no the with that one. Security. It's a long. It's a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's it's there's there's a lot of stuff that I managed to stir up with that one, and there's some very good points from uh, many people who are much much smarter than me. So we'll 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 kick that to the next episode and make sure that they're given the time they deserved. And actually, maybe we were talking about this, we could get like somebody who's particularly knowledgeable about things to to come along and and, and join the show because we've been shuffling the guests around a little bit recently. So um, yeah. Uh, final thing of the week which we might we have actually managed to get to for once the entire spreadsheet what are you most excited excited about uh this week in the cosmos usurper shit i mean i think about this for a few weeks yeah just me (laughs) and i'll escalate rugging yeah right (laughs) All right, I, I guess I do have something. So one thing that started this week, one like, one conversation I had out of uh, uh, almost by accident, a little bit. Um, actually, not so much by accident. When when Dan when Daniel was out from Steakfish a few weeks ago, um, and he was on Game of Notes, it gives an opportunity to to be able to talk after that. And then they were meeting um, um, down in Consensus, and there was a group called the Validator Commons, uh, which I think I've put a I'll put a link into. Um, which there's MetaGov and Stakefish is in there. Or I believe Cosmos Station might be in there. There's a few others, and there's uh, some research individuals in there as well. And it's having some conversations around um, governance in the Cosmos. This is very Cosmos specific, although those those chains also talk about validator governance outside the Cosmos as well. I think actually it might be more than just the Cosmos space. Um, and I think the, having a conversation, I opened my mouth in that meeting. <laughs> And was just talking a little bit around just what's happening at least in, the, in our ecosystem with validators and and kind of how validators grow and those types of things. And um, they're they're they have some pretty um, detailed conversations and, and discussions around I think both the validator and foundation relationship and kind of those the economy of that and those types of things. And then something so that's been pretty interesting. I'm starting to be involved a little bit in those conversations um, just to better understand it and then hopefully you know get more people involved. And then the other thing that started this week was um, also coming out was this Cosmos Validators League, which we've talked a little bit, and I know that you guys, uh, Null and Frey, have been involved with as well. And that is another group which which is now growing pretty large in terms of the number of Cosmos Validators that have been involved. Um, that came up out of Thyborg and also Ghost from Whisper. Um, and that is... Um, also talking about um, just trying to look at different ways to provide delegators with a good understanding of value from validators in the cosmos. Is that a fair statement, guys? Um, and the idea of being able to maybe make UX changes or other types of things that help more than just VP. Um, and how do we find other ways to be able to show value and, and you know, either giving back or both, I guess I should 
sum it up to say qualitative and quantitative ways to be able to show value. And so that those conversations have been also pretty big. Um, we'll put links to the show notes, I guess, to both of these. Um, so if there's validators that have not involved in either of those, it'd be you know, interesting for people to get involved in that. Um, so I think that, I don't know if that's the most interesting thing I'm excited for, but I, I do think these conversations are really good. And I think that um, there's a lot of viewpoints in both these areas, but um, I'm not sure of exactly what's going to come out of either one because there's, you know, it's a lot of people involved with different kind of backgrounds and needs, but um, it's pretty cool, I guess. Any comments uh, from you guys on those? Yeah, well, I, I had like a pretty lengthy conversation yesterday with um, Thyborg, who I think is like effectively, yeah, I, I'm not sure if I said his name right, either, but he's effectively like, you know, the spring from which the fountain has come with this, um, mm-hmm. you know, validator, let's say, assessment. And actually we invited him to the, um, out of this, we invited him to the, the um delegations DAO, which we're looking at on Juno, um, because I think, you know, he's got, he's got the right, um, he's got the right attitude towards that and he's reasonably non-biased and that type of stuff as well. So, but, um, you know, had a pretty decent conversation with him about like how that process might look and, um, you know, the pitfalls and dangers of doing something like that. And especially if they, you know, for example, became the default wallet that people use to do staking, right? So mm-hmm. then you're sort of uh, actively, um, you know, ranking people uh, and and encouraging directly delegations to certain people. And like, how do you how do you manage the responsibility of that? And um, a lot of it would be subjective. A lot of contributions are on chain. How do you make all that assessment and create that criteria um, to be able to effectively achieve what they want to um, and things along those lines? It's quite a complex subject. Yeah. And, you know, the problem is uh, for delegators, like it's quite a, it's a difficult thing for, for delegators because obviously as a delegator, if you're fresh into the, the cosmos, you want the thing that's going to get you the most money, right? So you come in, you see a thing that you're going to get money back out of, you delegate to them, and then your job's done. You click on, um, you know, restake or whatever, and, and off you go, off to the races. But, um, you know, so if you're like a, a rhino and you're providing like RPCs, for um stargaze that's on chain but if you're like a um uh pokachu and you index things and put them on your website that's not on chain and then assessment of that type of thing is pretty subjective but they provide a lot of value to the entire cosmos through doing that Mm -hmm. Uh, so you know there's a lot of moving parts when you're trying to rank people or or that type of thing. So, you know, I suggested to them that that maybe like um, instead of ranking people, you keep it like a random um, listing, but, uh, you know, maybe red flag uh, people like have agreed criteria, maybe even voted criteria that, you know, if, if you represent the top 30% of the, the vote on a chain or something, then you just get 
uh, you know, wrapped up and pushed to the bottom. And then the remaining might get just scattered around a list or even, you know, there could be a red flag system where if you do certain things, then, then the, um, you know, you get like a, you get put in a a roll up of a red flag line, you know, if you want to look at the red flags, you can go and if you hate the eco, you can go and vote to all those people and, and stuff like that. But, you know, you have to think about that type of stuff. You can't just go, fuck it. We want to like make a list and then make a list. There's, there's a list now. So the, the question is, is the list going to be better than the list that exists now? And well, the list that exists now is not right. So there's, um, a bunch of, there's a bunch of points that have been made in the chat. Yeah. I just want to quickly highlight. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm just going to have to run as well, guys, but I really appreciate uh, coming on today. I need to run for a meeting. James, I apologize for bringing this topic no, right. up. That was awesome. I, I, I want to stay and talk about this because, yeah, we're trying to work out Dallas as well, but it's life. Yep. Cheers, guys. Cheers. Cheers. See you. Um, so Pumos has, Pumos has said whitelist and validated cartels are anti-community uh, there's been a facetious respect the cartel <laughs> um, and then I think more, the more the the, the 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 second comment that Pumos made on this is actually very very important which is you know validators decide the criteria is an equation for cartel behavior and i think that's like i think the root of my uncomfortableness with a lot of those like validators we should get together and whatever is is essentially that and i think it's also just that too many validators are up on more than one chain as well like as in i think in an ideal world the economics would be the case that you would only validate one chain um we need we validate two and we're going to validate three soon um it's not impossible given that technically we're supposed to assuming passage actually makes it we're supposed to validate passage that would be up on four and that's at the point where i'm you know as as a part of an organization validating more than one chain i'm going well that's that's it's not great is it like um and then that's before you've even really thought about you know as white labels and all the other um complex stuff so you know mm-hmm. I, th- I think like Noel was saying whatever the whatever the metrics are it's probably should be up to the community to decide, yeah. but then the community is going to decide on an economic basis at the moment. Um, yeah. Cause it's, I, it, it's, it's, it's conflate. The problem we have like in a nutshell is that we've conflated economic incentives and political incentives. And what's happened is we've got people buying votes. Uh, let's call it what it is. People are buying votes and that's the problem. And this is a very, very solved problem. You don't let people by votes in a democracy, you make it hard for them to do so using law. Mm-hmm. And we don't have that. We just have this loose social consensus. Yeah. Um, so it's really hard problem to solve. Uh, yeah, I agree. I, I I agree with Noel's point too. And I like I, I don't want to recreate rankings and those types of things. I do think that there there is a, a real dark spot of education. And I think some of these other types of things around what makes value um more than just what that ranking is and even even like you know i mean i understand the idea of like having validators come together and trying to build a ui seems like collusion but you have one validator building a ui right now right like that's what MintScan is right you I mean even though it's community driven and it's open source you still you know it's, it's kind of a small group that's being able to decide how those how that looks and why the first 10 of those spots are colored differently than the other ones that exist in that validator list so I think that there could be more to be added on chain. I think there'd be more to be added off chain. I think there's probably rules for indexers in this to be able to have 
other types of things. Like a good example is missed blocks. Like those things, most of those RPC nodes are just looking at the last hundred blocks. I'd like to see it for the last year. Show me, show me downtime over the last 365 days across validators, maybe from when they, when they bonded. Yeah. Like that is much, that's much more valid, valid, you know, like valuable to me. Um, in scan shows number of votes. Um, but if somebody just joined, it shows that they missed, if there's 30, you know, 30 governance proposals. And I just, I was just a validator for the last one. It shows me as one out of 30. And so it looked like, you know, what the hell did I do? Uh, I just yeah. got here. So like yeah. those types of things and that, and those are, those aren't necessarily their issues. I mean, those are, those are indexing RPC issues and there's a technology gap there, which I think now maybe these, maybe a tool like this or other tools that exist can help solve that. And those things are, I don't think incredibly difficult UX problems, but, um, but it definitely has a huge impact. And so I do think the idea of validators getting together, at least talk about what's important is fine. And, and if that is a, if that looks differently and, and there's other ways to be able to add that data, whether it's on or off, I think is there's nothing wrong with that to make people make good decisions. There's a, I, I, I had a thought last night. So I had a pretty lengthy conversation in my night last night with um, some guys from uh, Orbital Apes uh, because, well, yesterday I flamed them on Twitter a bit and uh, I got a lot of uh, heat for it. <laughs> but, um, you know, we had a conversation with them last night and one thing that occurred to me uh, while I was talking to them was that, you know, maybe you'd, maybe a good interface is basically a staking interface that doesn't say anything about any validators and you just click a button that says scatter stake and then, <laughs> you know, you pick the amount of validators you want to go to, 10, click scatter stake and it just goes even across it's, all of them. It's, this, is like the, this is like the bit in the Matrix where he's down on the floor. It's like, what's happening? It's like he's starting to believe. <laughs> I finally... Nels, Nels finally suggested his first solution that involves a random number generator. I love and it. And I'm like, yes, finally. <laughs> finally, I've said random number generator enough times. Um, yeah, it just, just sprays it around to wherever. Like, you know, because at the end of the day, does it even matter? Like, as long as you make the blocks. He's it, starting to believe. He's starting to believe, fellas. I think it, it, there has to be some other changes where it does matter. I think the governance thing kind of is a sticker in this. I, I, you know, I'm going back to this whole idea around governance or validators voting for non-voting shares. I think that that does make some differences. And so I think there's some values in there that would make difference. And then if governance changes and that we separate that piece of it or some other way of doing that, maybe it's a DAO structure. And now there's a subset of DAOs that make or a subset within that DAO that makes decisions versus just this on-chain type thing from a validator perspective, then I think, yeah, you could just spray it, be done. Well, some think that, you know, validators shouldn't even be involved with uh, governance. Some, not me, but, you know, some do. <laughs> I do. I, I don't, I think. Um, I mean, well, I think there's, I think there's almost certainly better ways of doing it, but I think there's better ways of doing it. Yeah. I, I, I my, my red hottest take, I don't know if this is my red hottest take. They all get so, perennially spicier mm -hmm. um you know the meme where it's just like the dial and it's just like how like the the what's it it's like an old drill tweet isn't it turning the dial and looking back at the audience and then turning the dial again <laughs> is the tweet it's something like that and it's just like a classic shit posting meme um and and that's kind of what i feel like with some of my takes i'm just like turn the dial look back i'm like no okay they're still here all right you can turn it a bit more like i think i've gone from there might be a problem with proof of stake to like let's eliminate validators lads to let's eliminate vote no i don't even know right um but i think it 
I, I think there is a bit of me that would like to make a cartel chain. Cartel chain? Yeah. Yeah? Because it's a cartel anyway. So just admit it's a cartel and say, well, okay, lads, this is the cartel. He, here are your validators for the evening. Um, very, yeah, and then and then once you kind of admit, like, well, I mean, I suppose this is what... Um, it was what Foucault would say or whatever. I think it's Foucault, isn't it? Like you can only critique what you can, you can only critique what you have language for, right? So if it is a cartel, you have to call it a cartel before you can critique it and build a solution. Um, and like maybe a decent, maybe a, a set of 125 validators is by its very nature, essentially going to tend towards a cartel. And then, uh, yeah, m- yeah. The, maybe the voting power is not the problem, but who votes? Each validator could have its own DAO structure of delegators who actually assign the vote that the validator should do. You could do jury duty voting. Um, you know, a random delegator has to vote on behalf of the validator, and if that person's AFK, then eventually it you know drops down to the validator. Let's say a day before the the voting window or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some very interesting things you could do with that vote, but then also you know should. Should, it's back to kind of should voting be tied to economic power like it's done as an anti-sybil thing but mm-hmm. actually it fundamentally results in vote buying which is something we've decided in every advanced democracy is a bad thing so yeah the combination of vote vote power plus plus economics seems to me to be like not desirable like the thing validators want is stability of income to provide infrastructure right yeah that's that's the primary concern, and I think with with Prop sixteen, we saw that like not all of us are. We don't mind stepping up for the community, but we're not always like, "Yay, let's get into politics on behalf of our delegators." Right. Um. Ah, yes, good Absolutely. point. Partial match as well on anonymous <laughs> voting, and zk voting would be awesome, but you need like um, addressable off chain storage to do the ceremony. Um, it's quite complicated, or or relayers. So we're not not people. <laughs> I I I seriously apologize for bringing this topic up at an hour and forty. <laughs> yeah, so we need we need Henry on here to talk about private voting. Uh, we we talked about getting Henry from Penumbra on, and he mm. did say yes on Twitter. So that's that's legally binding. Um. So all right, no. What what are you excited about this week? Uh, well, what is, what's the date? I don't know. Uh, T-grade's coming up. So people just um, actually mentioning proof of engagement in the comments there. And uh, T-grade's going to launch like on the 27th, I think, or something like that. It's it's imminent now. Um, so I'm pretty pretty happy to see that coming up. Um, it's really it, – it's quite different to anything else there is out there. And um, I want to see how it unfolds really. Um, but yeah, other than that, uh, I'd be excited to see some fucking green candles. <laughs> there is on the board here. This is all, this is all cause the U S raised 0.75% or something like that today. And, uh, it's all green candles for the last hour, but I'm sure that all sell off tomorrow and we'd be back. Oh man. Everything's like across the board. Everything's getting smoked at the moment. It's, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, but, uh, yeah, also the, the hack DAO, I think might have, is going to go to, uh, vote soon on, uh, Juno. Um, mm-hmm. so I'm excited to see the DAOs starting to roll out now. 
um, working on a uh, delegations DAO for Juno, um, which I'm I'm kind of excited about. But then it, again, it comes down to like you know assessing people on an individual level, and it's it's quite subjective. And I'm interested to see how it all pans out. Um, to date, it's Core One who's been doing the um, assessment, um, and you know. I think we're looking for like a quite a, a diverse mix of people um, for that particular DAO, um, mm-hmm. not just, you know, there'll be some validators and some core people, but um, like I said, for example, Thy, I don't know how you say it, Thyborg um, yeah. is a community person. He's not a, uh, you know, he's not a validator. He's not a dev, he's, but he's, um, you know, interested and, uh, you know, pragmatic about it so um need more people like him uh around the place as well um yeah so excited about the dows deaf name the fray <laughs> what are you excited about bud uh i know i've been talking about this since early may um this because my to-do list catching up after the prop 16 bullshit has been so long to get through all of it plus all this stuff with howl and everything like there's just a lot to do um but tomorrow is um getting starting to sink in a cash node on a cash day nice um which will be a fun day probably of swearing at the screen um and yeah, I'm also um, got a bunch of uh, uh, um, some some kind of semi-secret, top-secret stuff going on as well. Very, there's just like so many projects and things on the go, which I think there's some stuff I'll be working on the next week, uh, which I've wanted to work on for quite a long time and haven't had time, and that's going to be really exciting. Um, and some of that ties quite closely into the, the sort of things we've been talking about around... Um, validate stuff and whatnot so gonna be getting to stick around with some rust and and some stuff and some sdk and some fun times so well looking forward to that <laughs> yeah and the and everybody should also check out your cosmosm uh oh yeah the, the educational new- series with Callum. like that's that watched that one today and i thought that was you guys were just it was the basic stuff right just kind of get environments set up and those types of things but i'm excited i don't know anything about it i'm excited to just understand a little bit yeah, yeah you should. Yeah, people should watch Cosmosm for Dummies. Uh, sorry, Cosmosm by Dummies, which is the podcast that Callum and I have started doing. Uh, first episode shows you how to bootstrap a local dev environment with Juno. Uh, next episode, next week, Wednesday, fourteen hundred UTC. Uh, we're going to be deploying our first, you know, deploying uh, first smart contract, um, showing you contract lifecycle and stuff like that. Building on this week's episode. Um, they're going to be every sort of week, every two weeks, as we have the time to do them in between, you know, actually working on smart contracts. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, we're going to go through some of that stuff. Uh, there'll be a third episode on doing like a simple front end for that contract as well. And then we'll probably do some stuff where we basically um, update the Juno docs for a bunch of little bits. And we'll also probably use some of the teaching materials in Callum's um, um cosmwasm uh 10k subs vim docs yeah okay uh the um uh, callum did a really good um there's a github rico called cosmwasm zero to hero i always say hero to zero because the beta band album zero to hero Mm -hmm. 
uh, which is really good learning resource if you're already a programmer and you're already a little bit comfortable with the SDK and you can just like kind of crack on and use that. And so we'll probably use that repo um, because Carl's already done all the hard work um, as a bit of a basis for doing some of the future lessons and stuff as well. And we'll also obviously be taking viewer questions like we do uh, with Game of Nodes. So very cool. Go and check that out if you're interested. Before we go, uh, we talked about this last week, I think. Uh, quick show. No. I, I, people said, please don't rug this week. So I'm respecting the the comments and we'll hopefully sign out properly. But um, quick show of hands. Uh, TMKMS now. We're all here, right? Well, Giuseppe is moving in the direction of Horcrux, right? I am. Yeah. So I, I'm thinking that's the next that's the next step we can ask every week. Are you on Horcrux yet? So I don't know, seriously, we plan to move there um, pretty soon. Uh, we're we're everything TMKMS now, but we want to move to Horcrux as well. And but last we spoke about it, um, you were moving to TMKMS, the freight, right? Yeah, we're now everything on TMKMS, including actually testnet stuff, um, because we don't want any setups to be kind of different to other ones. Um, and I think we're going to start doing like rolling destroys of some of our nodes now um, because the signer is on T- TMKMS. It's highly available. Right. Everything else is garbage, really. We can just like throw it away, build up a new node from scratch. Um, use one of Polka's snapshots that we talk about so much because they're really, really useful. Um, and then just like point the signer at it. Bam, we're done. Oh, uh, shout out to uh, Poker working with Tom um, on Cosmos Omnibus and creating the um, API to be able to programmatically access the um, his snapshots. So one of the problems has been with uh, Cosmos Omnibus is having to specify snapshots when you um, deploy to a cache. Uh, and now you can programmatically, well, it's coming up, I, I assume. They've been working on it, but I believe the plan is to be able to access an API which will direct to the latest PokerChoose snapshot, uh, which are regularly pruned. So historically, like if you start up in a cache uh, node with um, Cosmos Omnibus, you can be hanging around for quite a while waiting for it to download a snapshot um, so getting ready access to, I, I think, I think that actually is done as of, uh, Tom pushed an update to Omnibus literally like yesterday. Oh, um, really? So yeah, he mentioned it on Monday. Um, so Tom spoke at an event that, that we run in London and Tom's a great guy and he's going to be coming on the show in a few weeks. So, yeah, right. um, so that's, that is awesome. And that, um, feeds into your rolling destroys on a cache. So you can now, for for instance, run um, you know a Horcrux cluster on mm-hmm. um, on you know five nines, and then have your uh, you could you know theoretically reliably have your entire century uh, structure on a cache now. So um, that's what we want to do. We want to have one one node that's not a cache to begin with, and a couple of nodes on a cache, uh, and yeah. see how that. Um, starts out we might start with uni and if it works uh, well we might move it on to maybe juno mainnet and then go from there good thing i have a colo rack with 10 servers and a five terabytes of memory and so that's good timing yeah. 
<laughs> I, I guess that I, you I, can I, start writing subquery, mate. Make some. Make some <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to have to. What's the but what's the benefit? What's the benefit <laughs> that you can get from Horcrux by the time you're on T? Because if you're on TMKMS and like you're running a TMKMS box on AWS, sure. Um, so we. <laughs> We're we're kind of foolishly running it exactly on what it says in the specs in the in that that blog post they did, where mm-hmm. they definitely overspec like fuck. So it's like a, a an R five AXL or something. It's like got thirty two gig RAM and it's like a one Rust service. Yeah, it doesn't need that much RAM. So I mean, at some point we'll we'll size it down. But e- even at that size, it only requires a tiny hard drive. It's only costing one hundred twenty bucks a month. Yeah. yeah. Um, something like that. Mm-hmm. So. You know, even at that position, like that box is basically going to stay up forever, like until you need to restart it. And mm-hmm. by the time you need to like restart it, you're going to be like moving up to a new version of, you know, Ubuntu or something and just wanting to rebuild the box from scratch. Right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, all, it feels to me like all you're doing with Horcrux is then having to rebuild three boxes rather than rebuild one box when you do actually do, you know, really critical validator maintenance. Like, like an LTS yeah. version goes out of LTS, that kind of thing. The yeah, advantage that's... of the advantage of Horcrux is whether whether you use a one of one Horcrux or a, you know ninety eight of a hundred Horcrux or whatever. Um, the advantage of Horcrux is you can point it at multiple nodes, so it, it provides redundancy that way. So if you, for example, have um, an a cache node and a main node. Um, like say on DigitalOcean or on bare metal or in your backyard or whatever, and your internet goes out, then you know it can pick up the slack on a cache or um, you know you might scatter them all over the place, but it's uh, you know you don't have to then go and manually repoint your TMKMS node, um, and also it's hard to keep a spare node ready and synced. Um, as a spare for your TMKMS because it won't progress blocks until you um, connect a TMKMS instance to it, which means it could have a lot of catch up to do mm-hmm. unless you keep it synced and then you have to manually go and change it to accept a connection from your um, your uh, TMKMS, but then you actually have to restart it. And if that's on a cache, restarting it might mean that you um, have to actually redeploy right. uh the instance so right. you just shouldn't run that on a cache you should just run run yeah. that on AWS. no no your, your century node i'm talking about oh, right yeah, yeah okay because you have to right, change it would take, it would take a couple of seconds yeah 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 well with persistent storage now it would but um previously they didn't have pers- persistent storage and if you had to restart it after download a snapshot and resync so um it could take quite a long time like i used to run a um a Juno testnet validator on a cache uh, a while ago just as a test. And um, it was interesting when uh, I told Jacob, of course, Jacob wanted to destroy my toy. So he um, it had a, uh, a RPC port open on it as well. Um, and basically he just spammed the shit out of the RPC port until the process failed. And it reset, but it couldn't get back up to the head before it got jailed. So um, while it did come back up, it got jailed. It was interesting, um, but it just takes a long time. But now, uh, you know, there's beginning to be some more options available um, to be able to reliably use a cache 
to you know have a no downtime setup. So um, it's certainly and and it's a big. I don't I can't express enough how much of a big step it is to be able to get direct access um, via an API to to people who are providing um, snapshots around the community. Anyway, that's my yeah, it's spiel. pretty rad. So anyway, that's also <laughs> what I'm excited about this week. So it's gonna be pretty fucking rad. Let's go. Yeah.